We have four kids, uh, my wife and I, uh, and um, our two youngest uh, are named Kai and Kelton. They're five years apart, but they're really super close. They spend all their time together. And uh, last week, Kai went to bed. Uh, Kelton goes to bed uh, before Kai, about an hour before Kai. And Kai came in and kissed us goodnight, and he went to bed. And then uh, my wife went in to tell him something a few minutes later. And, uh, and, and when she came out, she had caught, like he went in and crawled in bed with his little brother and was like, he was asleep. And he was like stroking his head and telling him goodnight and telling him how much he loved him. It was like super cool. Uh, but she startled him. It was awesome. Uh, but it can also be challenging. Like you got to like relish those moments because the, the, you know, that's not how they are when they're both awake. Uh, in fact, most of the time, our 11-year-old Kai, he acts like he's Kelton's dad. And so uh, he's super bossy. And uh, anybody have a bossy kid? Yep. Anybody was a bossy kid when they were little? Anybody still a bossy kid right now? Okay. Yeah, uh, I wasn't super bossy, but I did have a little of the oldest child thing, even though I wasn't the, the oldest child. I have two older brothers, but there's a five-year gap between me and my next oldest brother. And then I have a brother and sister. Like, there's three of us right in a row. And so uh, those two kind of were always off doing their own thing, and then the three of us. And, uh, and so I got, I got a little bit of that. So Kai's a little bossy, and, and then Kelton, our six-year-old, uh, he's a little crazy. And uh, in fact, when he was three, um, you know, if you have, I don't know if how long it's been since you had little kids around, but um, the worst thing that can happen when you have little kids is silence. And so uh, he was off in another room and it got really quiet. And my wife was like looking for him and we were both home. And, uh, and, <clears throat> and, uh, and she was like, Kelton, what are you doing? And his little three-year-old voice, this is exactly what he said. Something dangerous. <laughs> and so she comes running. We both go running in. And sure enough, he had climbed up. He was standing on the back of our couch. And there was a counter about five feet away. And he was like, can I make it? Can I make it? He was thinking about trying to jump. Uh, but Kai and Kelton, last year, I, I could hear them arguing. They were fighting one day. You know, one of the blessed gifts of us all being home during covid and uh, Kai was like barking at Kelton about making the bed or picking up the room or something. They're supposed to be doing something together. And I went in and sure enough, Kelton was not doing his part and Kai was telling him all about it. And Kai was super frustrated. And he's like, dad, he's not listening. And he was right because Kelton was sitting on his bed with his fingers in both ears as Kai was talking to him. And Kelton just looked at me and smiled. And he's like, I can't even hear him, daddy. It's awesome. And he was just so pleased with himself. He's so happy. He just never thought about doing that before. And isn't there just something refreshingly honest about kids? Like, can you imagine the next time somebody is saying something that you don't want to hear, whether it's your spouse or your boss or a coworker or your neighbor, like you just stick your, like literally while they're talking, you're looking right at them. Just, mm -hmm. just stick your fingers in your ears. And the truth is like, I'm okay with it. Uh, as, long, as long as you don't do it when I'm talking. Like you could do it when anybody else is talking, just don't do it when I'm talking. And, and honestly, it kind of feels like that's where we are in our culture though, right? Like people just sort of putting their fingers in their ears, refusing to listen to one another. And, and there's a lot of stupid stuff that gets passed around as like wisdom on social media. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, I think at one time we're probably all guilty of maybe sharing things that sort of sound smart or 
sound inspirational, but you know, when you kind of start thinking about them, they're not all that great. Uh, like, like uh, I don't know if you've seen this one. I've seen this a whole bunch, but like this post that says, never regret anything that made you smile. And clearly that person has never raised adolescent males. Like they've never, because there's a lot of stuff when you're a teenage boy that makes you smile that you probably shouldn't do. Like you maybe should regret and like not do that anymore. I saw someone post last week that, that, that this was the, the, I went back and found it and this is what it said. It said, don't listen to anyone but yourself and never let anyone talk you into anything. Which, I mean, I kind of know, I think what they're trying to say, but honestly, that's just, well, that's just stupid, right? Like, I, like I've heard a lot, like I've heard what I got to say about almost everything because I have to live with me 24 seven between my ears and I ain't gonna lie, I have a lot of really good things to say, you guys, especially to me. Like I could be really persuasive of myself, but I also say some pretty ridiculous things on a regular basis, especially to me. And on top of that, I know some pretty amazing people. I know some pretty wise people who, as it turns out, actually know more than me about some stuff. Like they have more faith than me or they're better at life than me. And they're people that I could actually learn from and be challenged by. And the problem is like, we, have, we all have those people in our lives, but we also have plenty of voices in our lives that, that we should quite honestly be ignoring or at least turn the volume down a little bit on the, on the voice. So how do you know which voices and which perspectives to tune into and which ones to filter out? How do we listen more and listen better, but also listen to the right people and the right voices in our lives? Well, there's a, there's a moment in the story of the people of God in the Old Testament where that was kind of the exact question that people were wrestling with. So God had used this guy Moses to deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he had promised them a home and a land of their own. So they were holding on to those promises and trying to do what God wanted them to do. But the journey and the process of kind of stepping into that and, and taking possession of what God had for them, it, it wasn't as easy as what they all expected it. And, and the truth is, is like, isn't that the way that it is with us? Like we all have dreams and faith and maybe even some promises of God that we're sort of holding on to and some expectations about what, what's coming in life and, and we know who we wanna be and where we wanna go, but then like life just kind of gets in the way and along the way we discover that the journey of stepping into who God created us to be well, it isn't as easy as we thought it would be and now we're just not sure and like what, what do we do and how do we do this and where do we go? And so in this moment in the people of God in the Old Testament, like so God to rally everybody together and get them on the same page, he actually tells Moses to send out some scouts to check things out in the land that they're supposed to be taking possession of so that they can come back and report to everyone and remind them of who they are and where they're headed and everybody can kind of be fired up and, and kind of galvanized around the, the vision and the mission again, only it, it just doesn't exactly go the way that it was supposed to go. And so in Numbers chapter 13, uh, this is how the story unfolds. And we'll begin in verse three and we'll kind of skip around, but they'll all be on the screen as you follow along. So Numbers chapter 13, verse three, it says this. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. 
he sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders from Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. We're going to skip down to verse 17. So Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. He said, go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, whether there's few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there a lot of trees? Do your best to bring back samples of, all, of any and all the crops that you see. So Moses is like, look, go check it out. He knows that they have some battles coming. He knows they have some struggles coming. He knows that they have a fight coming. And so he's just trying to like scope things out. He's trying to like get everybody on the same page. So he's go, go check it out. And, he, and he's like, basically like pay attention to everything. What is the land like? What are the people like? What are the cities like? What kind of crops grow there? Is there a lot of trees? And he's basically like, if you see it, write it down. Like we don't, you don't need to jump to any conclusions, but bring us back the good, the bad, and the ugly. We wanna know it all so we have the full story. Now, here's what's interesting that I think about this story is that Moses actually already had an opinion about what was supposed to be happening. He, he already knew what God wanted to do. He knew where they were supposed to be going. He knew what was expected of him. He knew what was supposed to be happening, but he didn't just wanna hear information that supported what he already thought, which is what we often do, right? But, but the truth is, is that listening isn't, it's actually about learning something new, not just getting information that confirms what we think we already know, which is truthfully a lot of what our conversations are about. And we think something and then we go and search for the facts that support that, right? So often we have an opinion or, or a story about how it's all supposed to go or about what's true and what's real. And then we set out in search of the facts that will actually support that opinion or that story. Or, or sometimes it's the opposite, right? Like we know what we're supposed to be doing. We have an idea of what God maybe has asked us to do, but because we're afraid or because it's hard or because we're doubting, like we start actually kind of building our case for why it can't be done, why we're not gonna do it, why we can't do it, why it won't happen, why it's a bad idea. Have you ever told God something's a bad idea that you felt like he wanted you to do? Like, I, I don't know, God, if you really know what you're doing. And that process that we go through, is, it's called, there's a name for it, it's called confirmation bias, right? It's where we actually think about something, we have an opinion, and then we just go out and get the information that supports what we already think. In their book called Decisive, which is a great book if you haven't read it, uh, two, the two brothers, they write books together, Chip and Dan Heath, and they actually wrote this about, uh, uh, about confirmation bias. They said this in, in their book, Decisive. They said, confirmation bias doesn't just affect what information people go looking for. It even affects what they notice in the first place. So we actually are predisposed to ignore and not even notice things that don't confirm what we already think. It happens in our relationships certainly happens in politics and in culture. It happens in our faith. It happens every day of our life that we actually don't see the things that are inconvenient or fly in the face of what we think. See, God had given these people this, this really big picture, this really big 
vision. They, they knew the ultimate outcome of what was supposed to happen, but they had no idea how it was all going to play out in the meantime. And so that's why, they're, that's why Moses is sending out scouts to try to figure out how's this going to go down. See, sometimes you just have to admit to yourself. Sometimes you got to admit to yourself and to God and to the people around you that you just don't know everything. <gasps> I know. I know. And the truth is, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a person of faith, can we just have a moment of like collective honesty, especially, and you, you maybe ex have experienced this in church, right? Like, can we just admit that a lot of the times, like Christians, like we act like we know more than we know, like about how our lives are supposed to go or what God is doing in the world and or what we're supposed to be doing. And, and I think I know why we do that, but I, I think sometimes we just need to kind of step back and, and, and realize it's okay to not have it all mapped out. It's okay to like point your life in the direction of what's good and what's right and to go after it, even if you don't have all the details. One of my, my favorite stories uh, from the Old Testament and the scriptures is, is in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And this guy named Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and the, his son, Jonathan, who was the prince of Israel. Um, and, and they actually had their marching orders and they knew what they were supposed to be doing. And God, again, had given, this, given, this, given them this plan. And, but it, it was a little bit of a challenge because it was going to be a little bit scary. They're going to have to fight some people. And, and, and so they, Jonathan, without his dad's permission, his dad's the king is a little scared, so he's hanging over underneath the tree. And Jonathan grabs his armor bearer and they sneak off in the middle of the night. And he's like, look, this is a battle worth fighting. And, and then he says one of the most non-reassuring things about God in the scriptures. He says, let's go pick a fight. Maybe God will help us. And that's just not like one of those verses that you put on like a bumper sticker, like maybe God will help. I don't, I don't know, maybe. I, but but it, it's, it's just a powerful reality. That he's like, I don't know. I know the right thing to do, but I don't know how it's all gonna go. That doesn't mean that it's all gonna go perfectly or that we're gonna even survive, but I know that we need to do this thing. And sometimes we just gotta step back and go, I don't know how it's all gonna unfold and all the particulars, and I, I don't know the ultimate outcome, but I know that this is the right way for us to be going. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever been at a crossroads in your life, kind of facing a big decision and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you asked God for guidance and you asked God to show you the way and what to do. But at the end of it, you're still like, I got nothing. Like, I don't know. It's like, he's not. I mean, like if you're not raising your hand, you are a liar. <clears throat> because that's all of us. What you don't do in that moment is put your fingers in your ears and just go, I, nobody talked to me. I got it all figured out. I know, you don't, you don't just sit and pretend like you know stuff you don't know. In Proverbs chapter one, verse five, it says, it says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning actually get guidance. I love that because he's like wise people they're the ones that don't assume they know it all and they just keep listening. They keep asking questions. They keep surrounding themselves with people who are smart and, and people who love God and people who can, can help them. Then they seek guidance. They don't look for information that's shaded towards what they already think. They don't assume that they already know everything. In fact, 
The truth is, assuming that you know everything about something will actually be the thing that keeps you from discovering what you don't actually know. And it will keep you from stopping, from listening. Moses doesn't do that. He's like, look, I want to know it all. Tell me everything. The good, the bad, the scary, the challenges. So the scouts go out, they come back. This is what happens. Verse 25. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned, and this was their report to Moses. They said, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they even brought them a sample of fruit. Look, here is the kind of fruit it produces. All right, so far so good. Land flowing with milk and honey. That does not sound appetizing to me, but... That was, sounded really good to these people. Verse 28, then they say, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now it's not so good. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can do this. We can conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. They said the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All of the people we saw were huge. Have you ever like uh, been afraid so you exaggerate? So... Um, <clears throat> In our house, the man is the protector, which means that I am the chief spider and bug killer. Um, and usually when my wife comes to tell me that there's something I need to kill, there's a slight exaggeration of its size and ferocity. It was this big. I'm like, that? That little thing? Okay. Okay, so I think there's some of that happening. They're like, you guys, they were, they were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Now look, all of these 12 guys, they all see the same things, but two very different interpretations of what they saw come to the surface. And it's usually at this point, I mean, that's not uncommon, but it's usually at this point in the conversation or whatever's happening with us that we just sort of, sort of start like writing people off. Like, you think what? You voted for who? You're scared of what? But here's the reality. You and I, we can't get to where God wants to take us on our own. Like, I wish it wasn't true. Like, I wish I didn't need you in order for me to become all that God has for me, but I, but I do. I, I wish you didn't need me, but you do. And often it's people who think differently than you, who see the world differently than you, people who are willing to say things that you don't want to hear. It's oftentimes that those are the people that you need the most in your life, which is just really annoying, like, right? Like, like that you need somebody that's constantly just a contrarian saying stuff to you. Like I meet, all, I meet people all the time who are constantly tempted by the notion that, that we don't need other people. All we need is God. And yet it's God himself who actually tells us something different in the story, in the, in the scriptures. 
He's constantly pointing out to us that we need each other, that we were created for community and relationship with one another. Have you ever disagreed with someone and while they were talking, all you could think about was the next brilliant point you wanted to make as soon as they will like finally take a breath and shut up and stop talking? I mean, it's so hard to listen to people when they're just so wrong, right? I imagine like this moment kind of being like that. The argument between the scouts and the story is kind of like that. Nobody's listening. They, they give their report. We can't do it. It's too scary. Yeah, it's great, but no, we'll all die. And then Caleb and his buddy Joshua are like, no, what are you talking about? We got this. Let's go. And everybody's trying to like score points with Moses and the leader and the other people. But the truth is like, you can't learn that way, right? Like you can't love people while you're ignoring them or while you're talking over them or completely discounting their experiences or their point of view. Like I've read and reread the stories of Jesus and the things that he taught and the things that he said, and he never did that to anybody. See, part of listening is that, that you just have to decide that you're not gonna worry about what you're gonna say while the other person is talking. And, and as hard as that is, it's actually just a choice you can make. You could choose to wait and to listen, and to process what they're saying, and to ask questions. Like, it's, it's a choice to just be quiet, and to quiet your mind, and focus on, Hansi and I were talking recently, and we weren't arguing, we were just talking, and while she was talking, I started thinking about what I wanted to say, and it was pretty awesome, I'm not gonna lie. Um, and when she stopped talking, like, I just went right into what I was thinking about, and when I finished, she was just like staring at me, just blank-faced, staring at me and she's like were you were you listening to anything I said at all I literally just was talking about that I wasn't listening I was thinking about how I wanted to talk about this by the way the the first 10 scouts what they had to say it wasn't necessarily untrue it's just that it magnified the bad and minimize the good. They're like, yeah, 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 it's, it's great. But whew, the people are crazy scary. And why do they do that? Well, because they were afraid. And how do we know? Well, because there's only one detail of their story that got mentioned twice. Look at it again, verse 28. They said, the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Verse 33 we even saw giants there, the descendants of, you guys know who Anak is? Hello. Apparently he was a big, scary dude and nobody wanted to fight his relatives. Now, honestly, I went looking, there weren't a lot of photographers available back then, but I did find a picture of the Anakites in action um, and there they are. And honestly, if that's them, I'm maybe gonna side with the, the 10. Like that was, that's pretty scary. Like, look at how much bigger they are. I don't know that this is 100% accurate because those are some nice trousers those guys are wearing and I don't think they had those back then. But, but, but isn't this what we do when, when we're trying to make a point, right? We emphasize the, the worst part or we emphasize the thing that strengthens our argument. Like, I, I don't know if you guys heard the part where there were giants living there. You know, the descendants of Anak. Anybody? Hello? They even embellish a little bit and expand it the second time around because in the second, you know, the, the, the end of verse 33, they say this. They say, 
next to them, we felt like grasshoppers and that's how they thought too. Like that's what they thought too. Like it's hard to argue with what they felt, like that's fine. But now they're supposed to know what the other people were thinking as well. Have you ever spoken for somebody like that? Like I was there and that's what they were thinking too. Really, you know what they were thinking? The truth is like, Here's the deal, like relationships and kind of life is easier to navigate when you realize that, that people are driven by emotions and not reason or logic. Like we assume that we're just logical, reasonable people. We're not. Like we act and react because we feel something. And, and so when someone's talking, the question becomes not what are they saying? Why are they saying this? What are they feeling? Why, why do they feel that way? What have they experienced? What have, what, have they, what have they been through that have caused them to think and feel the way that they do? There's an old saying that says everybody has two reasons for what they do, a good one and the real one. And isn't that just true? Now, remember for a second that these people are less than a year away. They're less than a year removed from being slaves in Egypt. So they all have all kinds of baggage. So, I mean, on the one hand, for these 10 guys, it's kind of understandable that they're a little bit scared. But in that moment, in those experiences, how, how do you know which voices, which stories, which facts to listen to? In the very next chapter, this is what happens. Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. It says, then the whole community began weeping out loud and they cried all night. I, that is one of my favorite parts of this story. Like the whole nation, they're just crying for all night, really? Like, they're like, not Anik, we eat that guy. They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. They said, if we had only died in Egypt or even just here in the wilderness. Like, have you ever been there? Where you're just like, it's not worth it. We should just die. This is all terrible. Verse three, then you turn it on God, which is what they do. Why is the Lord taking us through this country only to have us die in the battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back and be slaves in Egypt. What? Like, there's some really bad ideas that come to the surface, right, when things start getting chaotic. Like, guys, I don't know what you're thinking, but slaves, like, should we just turn ourselves in? Let's go back. <clears throat> Honestly, the whole scene is really funny to me, but the truth is, for them, the stakes couldn't have been higher. So everybody starts freaking out based on a few unsubstantiated claims from just a handful of people, which is not at all like people are today, thankfully. Like, we don't freak out just because a couple people say a couple dumb things. Like, we, we're really level-headed about this stuff. But, but it's these moments that we really start figuring out which voices to tune into and which ones to ignore. And, and honestly, I, I think part of the filter for us needs to be especially if you're a follower of Jesus, like, are they, are they speaking from a position of faith? Not stupidity, not ignorance, not like human 
irrationality, but are they speaking from a position of faith or are they speaking from a position of fear? Are they just afraid? And if it's fear, it doesn't make them a bad person. It just, it makes them human. And honestly, you should ask questions and you should look for what they're feeling and why so you can understand better where they're coming from. But, but never allow their fears to determine your future. Don't, don't allow the limitations that other people place on their lives to be the limitations that get placed on your life. So often, our only filter when it comes to what we listen to and what we don't is, do I like what they're saying or not? Does it reinforce what I already think and feel and believe? And that's a terrible filter, right? Because you're just going to end up in an echo chamber of, like, because you believe some really good stuff, but you also believe some really dumb stuff, like me, about yourself and about God and about life and what you should be doing. So listen for people who will challenge you, who, who will push you, maybe call you to become who God created you to be. Because honestly, like what we see in the story and what I've experienced in my own life is that when you live in faith, when you run in faith, it's exhilarating. But when you live in fear, when you run in fear, it's exhausting. It's overwhelming. And when the future looks scary, we have a tendency to do what they do, what they did, which is romanticize the past, even when the past is as dark and painful and ugly as slavery. Have you ever known somebody and you're like, I can't figure out why they keep doing that thing, why they keep going back to that place, why they keep returning? It's because of this. They got out and freedom is scary and who God wants us to be is sometimes hard and we got to make choices and we got to take risks and there might be some sacrifice and we might take it on the chin. And so we're just like, we'd rather just stay stuck in this spot. <clears throat> Notice Caleb and Joshua though. They're like, look, is this going to be easy? No. And if we had to do it alone, we probably couldn't. But God is for us and he's with us. So grab your swords and let's go. I, I got to tell you, you need some Caleb's in your life. People who will tell you the truth, who will shoot straight with you, but they will also speak life into your future. They're like, where we're, like, God didn't bring us here for us to go back there. He brought us here so we could go that way. You need people who, choose to live in courage, not, be, not because they're not afraid, but they choose to step into the fear and move forward. People who will point you forward and not backward. You need people who are voices of hope and joy and life. People who call you and will challenge you to be more loving and selfless and faithful and patient. People who bring peace and calm to your life, but they will challenge you in your comfort zone. People who will call you to a life bigger than you. A life lived in faith for the good and for the right and for the true. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, fear and discouragement are the greatest threats to you living the life God created you for. Not 
sin. See, Jesus actually took care of sin for you. You can, but here's the thing, you can be forgiven and still live a really small, fearful life. And the people of Israel, they chose to listen only to the voices that told them what they decided that they had already thought, which is we can't do it. The voices that spoke to their fears and diminished their faith and spoke to the worst part of them. And because they were so unteachable, they lived down to the level of their own assumptions. And none of them, if you keep reading the story, none of them were actually able to experience what God wanted to do in their lives. Instead, they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the desert, miserable, and they missed out on the very thing that God had promised them. Not because of God, because of them. So how tragic for us that Jesus gives us all this grace and all this love and all the forgiveness and all the power that we need to live an incredible life for him. But so often we just end up kind of wandering around in the desert, miserable. Trading it all in for a life that we can manage. A life that feels a little safer because I can control all the pieces. All while we're missing out on the very thing that God has promised to us. And so often it just comes down to listening. Who are you listening to? Are we listening at all? Because God's greatest moments for us aren't for us alone. They always, always, always involve other people. There's this really great proverb. <clears throat> proverb chapter 25, verse 26 says this. It says, if the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. And what I want you to see from this is the principle that he's describing. Because what he's describing is for better or for worse, our lives are influenced and impacted by the people around us, by who you listen to, by the people and the voices that you've given access to your life. H have you ever had clarity about something, but then you talk to the wrong person and their heart and their fear and their negativity and their attitude muddy the waters and you walk away a whole lot less sure than you were and kind of confused? Like, I thought I kind of knew what was supposed to go on. And the opposite can be true as well, right? Times where you feel lost or confused. Maybe, maybe you're not confused, but you're just scared about what needs to happen or which way to go or what to do. But then you talk to somebody and you walked away knowing exactly what you needed to do and with the courage to go and do it. Not because they told you what to do, but because you grabbed onto their faith and their heart and their courage and that was all that you needed. <clears throat> In 2017, the beginning, heading into that year, we had been um, pastoring a church for 10 years in a little town called Plumas Lake in California. And, and um, we started thinking about and feeling like our time there was done and up and we needed to leave. And my wife is a whole lot better 
at uh, those kinds of transitions than I am. And it was very difficult for me. And <clears throat> it was difficult for me to let go. And so I just kept talking and talking it through and asking people that I trusted and then we talk about it some more. And, and inside I knew, I knew the thing to do, but inside I was, I was scared and I didn't know what was kind of come next and I didn't know where, like it was just super scary to step out of something that we'd been doing for 10 years and I loved it and it was just, and so I would just talk and I, then, I, and then I'd hear somebody and I'd be like, look, like that, I don't know, like they said this thing and Maybe we could turn, you know, I don't know. Maybe we got another couple years. But then there were a couple of voices. People that were just as invested as in us and our church as I was. And they were like, look, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay. But you know, you know it's time to go. A friend of mine was visiting from out of town he spoke at our church that morning and we were hanging out at our house. And he's just like, hey, by the way, why are you still here? See, sometimes we, we, we need voices in our life that will speak to us about, what we, about the courage and the step we know we need to take. Most of the time I've discovered we, we don't need more clarity about what to do. We just, we need more courage to do what we know we already know to do. And so I, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to be a better listener, to stop, step back. And part of that being a better listener is choosing which voices will influence you. It's because everybody's important. There's no doubt about it. They all matter to God. People should matter to you. Somebody's talking, you hear them out. You ask questions, you're curious. You understand their point of view and where they're coming from. You can even validate what they're feeling. But not every perspective should be given equal weight in your life. Not every voice should influence you equally. You have to be intentional and choosy about the kind of people that, and the kind of voices that speak into who you are and where you're headed. What I love about the story in Numbers is that Moses, when you read the story, he's not swayed. You'd think in this scenario, with the way that it's just kind of going, it's 10 versus 2. We send out 12, 10 of them agree, only 2 disagree. And then you'd think, based on how all of the people respond to the report, You'd think it's just a no-brainer. Okay, we're going to go with the majority, guys. Like, everybody settle down. This is, but he, he doesn't. Like, he heard them all. He listened to their reports. He listened to their opinions. But he also understood who to filter out and who not to. And he makes his decision, and they move forward. I, I wonder, who are the voices in your life that you're listening to? In a couple of weeks, at the end of this series, we're actually going to talk about the people, when to stop listening altogether. But, but for today, you just begin to take kind of an inventory of the people that are closest to you in your life and, and what, what is their voice speaking into your life? 
Are they muddying the waters every time that you kind of know what's supposed to be happening or you have a plan or you're ready to move forward or you're feeling courageous and then, and then you talk to them and, and it's not just that they're bringing up things that you didn't think about, it's that, that the, the water gets super muddy and then all of a sudden you're not sure. It's probably time to turn that voice down. <clears throat> and, and then the truth is, is that, and we talked a little bit about this, week, this last week, is like the most important voice you'll ever tune into is the voice of the one who created you. And he's speaking to you. And he's reaching out to you. And he's talking to you. And whatever you believe about God, and maybe you're on that, you know, you're way down that spectrum of like you're a believer and you're following Jesus and you're trying to learn and, and hear and all that. And that's awesome. My question is, are, but are you listening to what he's saying to you? When you're reading the scriptures, what's happening inside of you. And maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you're like, I'm not sure really any, any of this is true or real or if God's even there. And the truth is, is that God is speaking to you too. That in fact, he's been in a conversation with you and that might be the very reason you're here. And the most important voice that you can actually tune into, tune your ears to and begin to listen better is the voice of the God who loves you. And he's here this morning and has something to say to you, for you, and about you, and about his love and his intention for your life. Are you listening? Let's pray together.